Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This podcast explores all the things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, three years ago, or yesterday. After listening to this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform. You can rate and review this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Audible. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a one-time donation or a monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes or scrolling down to the notes section of this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So one of my favorite ways to write and record a new episode is to really just sit and think about some common themes that are showing up in my own life. I actually don't try to dig too deep and come up with something that's trending. I look to the people around me, the people I speak with every day, and I observe what they're going through. I observe how I respond to them. I observe what I'm going through. And the reason I do that and like to talk about those things on this podcast is because it's what we're all going through. You know, we're not special. We're not that unique. If something's happening in the lives of a few people I know, I'm sure it's something you can relate to. And this week, I wanted to talk about something that I'm seeing come up so often in so many conversations, whether it's in my personal life or my professional life. And that is investing in ourselves on a regular basis instead of waiting until we are in the worst case scenario. And I bring that up because the conversations that I'm having sound like someone wanting to stop drinking, but telling themselves, well, I haven't gotten a DUI yet, or I still have my job, or my partner hasn't left me yet, so I don't have to work on it yet. Another example is someone delaying therapy and they do have the means to pay for it. They do have health insurance, but saying to themselves that they haven't crossed some imaginary worst case scenario boundary yet. So they're not going to do this yet. They're not going to give themselves the opportunity to increase their support system and have someone to work through things with because they don't feel that they've hit rock bottom yet. And I could go on and on because these examples are actually popping up all over my life and I know that I do it as well. And I wanted to explore that today. I wanted to explore that idea of means testing ourselves and this idea that we all have ingrained somewhere that we have to cross some imaginary line of hardship before we take care of ourselves or work on ourselves. Almost as if we have to earn it or deserve it, or it has to be the worst case scenario because it can't possibly be proactive, right? (laughs) It has to be very reactive. But I want to talk about it because I think what would our lives and relationships look like 
if we didn't wait until that point when we thought things got quote-unquote bad enough, what would happen if we regularly invested in ourselves by nurturing and nourishing ourselves, body, mind, and spirit, whatever that is for you? And I wanted to take a look at that. I recently had a conversation with someone at work and they asked me some questions about Al-Anon. Everyone knows I used to be a therapist, so every now and then a question will pop up at work that has nothing to do with work. And someone asked me about Al-Anon and the 12 steps. And they asked why I find that helpful or interesting or what impact it could possibly have on my life, right? Because I'm not in the worst case scenario. So they asked because they really couldn't understand why would you reflect so much? Why would you participate so much? Why would you be of service consistently, you know, over decades when you're not in crisis? And it was so interesting to me that we were talking about that. And I actually gave a really good example about how that program shows up in other areas that I never expected and how often, because this person is someone I interact with professionally, how often all of the things that I regularly learn through engaging in that program and in those steps and in that service and how it shows up in my interactions at work. And it really opened this person's eyes up, I think, in our conversation because I gave concrete examples of how I apply steps to my interactions, how I apply traditions to my interactions, because it's very easy to misinterpret everything and say, this only applies to this one area of my life, as if the things we learn in therapy only apply to the specific topic we're talking about in therapy, but they don't. You know, there's that great line, everything is grist for the mill. And I think that that really applies when we're talking about investing in ourselves, because initially we think I have all the control. I understand the return on investment. If I go to therapy for six sessions and I talk about this one relationship, that is the only area where it will improve. But the surprising thing, the most interesting thing is that when we invest in ourselves and work on ourselves and allow ourselves to grow in any area, it actually touches all the areas of our lives. And we may not see it right away. In fact, what usually happens is that other people notice it first. And so here I am giving an example of, you know, working on the adult child of alcoholic issues that I feel that I wanted to navigate and heal in my adult life. And guess what? They showed up in work environments. They showed up in romantic partnerships that showed up in my relationship with money. And those were all of the things that I could never have imagined this work would touch when I walked into my first meeting and opened the book and read the steps and was like, what am I doing here? So I really do want to explore that topic because I'm sure if you are like me, you have discounted yourself from something good, something that would help expand your life because you thought, I don't deserve it yet, or I haven't hit rock bottom yet, or I haven't crossed this imaginary line yet. And when I do, oh, I'll know exactly what to do. 
But what I've often found happens with myself and with other people is that we change that line. You know, that line we say, once I cross that line, then I'll do something about it. That line shifts, right? It keeps moving a little bit further away. And we're like, oh, this wasn't so bad. I don't need it yet. And the way we can turn this on its head and really look at it through a new pair of glasses is to say, why am I waiting? My life is so short. What am I waiting for? What is so weak or vulnerable or, you know, challenging about investing in myself today? What story am I telling myself about what investing in myself and caring for myself actually is and what it actually does in my life and who wrote that story because chances are I didn't write that story chances are that story was shown to me read to me lived out in front of me by other people in my life and so if you're listening to this episode and you're not quite sure yet well where did that come from why do I deny myself that care or that opportunity to grow I'm going to encourage you to really just pause, even pause this episode and just think for a minute. What was I looking at? What was I hearing? What was I experiencing growing up? And what were the messages? Maybe in our family of origin, maybe in our community, maybe in the media about what it means to take care of ourselves, to be gentle with ourselves, to allow ourselves to say, I don't know. Maybe someone else does. Maybe I can get the answers from them. What does that say about us? And why have we allowed that story to control how we take care of ourselves? Now, earlier, I used the phrase return on investment. And it's so interesting because that's usually the pushback that I would hear from people when I practiced as a therapist, when I ran the cancer center, People would come in and I would suggest different programs or groups for them to attend and they would immediately respond with um, something I would say was defense mechanisms or feeling as if I was indicating that in some way they were weak or less than or didn't have what they need to cope or deal with what was going on and it almost seemed to them at the time that I was insulting them. Instead of me, what I was actually doing was reminding them of everything that's available to them. And that when we think that our resources are limited, sometimes it's really helpful when someone reminds us what we have access to and what we've been preventing ourselves from using because of one of those stories that we tell ourselves. And so I would encourage people to keep an open mind. And one of the things I would say, especially when it came to support groups, whether it was a 12-step group or another group that I was facilitating, I would encourage them to attend six groups. And they would say, why? Why do I have to come six times? That seems so extreme. You know, I know right away, I know who I am. I know I won't like it. I don't like what someone says. I'm not going to come back. And I just sat with them and I wasn't fighting with them, but I did say what I have noticed in myself and in others is that our defense mechanisms rise up immediately when we feel vulnerable. And you know what? They're doing their job. That's what they're supposed to do. They're trying to keep us alive and they can't tell the difference between our discomfort and actual pain. 
that discernment is a muscle that we have to work on and develop. And so the first time when you walk into a meeting, um, a support group, a therapy session, part of you is searching for reasons and proof as to why you don't need this. And that's right on time. That's perfect. That's exactly what's supposed to be happening. And if you can get past that first time and say, okay, that makes sense. I'm uncomfortable. All of these thoughts are arising. And you can come back to the second meeting. Slowly, you can chip away and begin to hear what's actually going on. And then your perspective shifts. At least what I've noticed is people's perspective shifts. No longer are they constantly searching for proof and searching for the differences and the disparities and saying, I'm not like this person. They are an other. I'm not like that. You start to hear the connection. You start to hear the similarity. You start to hear your thoughts coming out of someone else's mouth. And you begin to listen to them share about situations that you yourself have found yourself in, but you're hearing and experiencing it differently because it's not as emotionally charged, because it's not you in a fight with your partner who's talking about, you know, your mother or father wound. It's not emotionally charged. You're listening to someone else share about their life and you can recognize yourself in it. So when we allow ourselves that, We give ourselves an opportunity to grow in unexpected ways. And to me, that seems like a new experience in awareness. And awareness deepens the more we practice. Because that's another story we've told ourselves or someone else has told us, that our current level of awareness is the deepest and most profound it can ever be. That our awareness is not blocked by our experiences, our bias, our stories, our fears. And it absolutely is. Awareness deepens the more we practice this. And it's interesting because once we start doing this, once we start investing in ourselves, allowing ourselves to grow and shift our perspective and step into that uncomfortable space of saying, maybe I was wrong. I mean, what does that feel like to say, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I didn't know what was actually going on. Maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I misinterpreted this person. We realize how many situations there have been in our lives where we contributed to disharmony and resentment, and we were pointing our fingers at other people the entire time, right? We were gathering evidence. We were gathering proof. We were making someone or something an other very separate from ourselves and saying it's all their fault. So it's really interesting when we invest in ourselves, we open the door for some humility in our relationship with ourselves, a little grace. There's just a little extra room where we invite that breath in to say, maybe I didn't get it right. Maybe I am a part of this. Maybe I am contributing to this dynamic. And what can I do about it? Because perhaps one of our old stories was that the only way you can feel empowered or powerful or in control is by constantly pointing fingers, constantly seeking for the negative, constantly seeking for that proof that you are right and someone else is wrong and there's always a bad guy and a good guy and you're never the bad guy, right? (laughs) So we get to think about that story and think, how has that harmed me? 
how has that blocked me from growing or showing up in situations and taking care of my side of the street? And once I do that, once I do begin minding my side of the street and saying, what am I bringing to this situation? I can change. And the more that we let go of that, I am right, or I know best, or I'm the good guy and you're the bad guy mentality, the more we open ourselves up to the possibility and the practice of alternative actions and counterintuitive actions that will bring us unexpected results. And through that, we move from rigidity to neutrality. And that's a very powerful position. And it's really interesting because whenever I think about approaching things from a position of neutrality, I actually visualize almost a tree or a plant of some kind. And the entire world is telling us that what is above ground is most important. We need lush leaves. We need long branches. You know, we need to look really good. But I think about the power in our roots And that's what the neutrality is for me. It's really deep roots. And when I can get back to that neutral place, I can move with things. I can move with my life on life's terms and I can bend instead of breaking. I don't think any one of us wants to live life at the mercy of circumstance. And when we're only focused on that outward energy, you know, the leaves on our tree or pointing a finger at other people, we will always be at the mercy of circumstance. And so the whole purpose of this episode is to challenge the idea that we don't deserve in this moment to work on ourselves and to invest in ourselves and to grow in some way. And maybe we can do away with that idea that there's some finish line where we plateau and instead look at it as if there are just layers to the onion. You know, we can just keep peeling those layers back and fall into deeper and deeper awareness of how you can work with the world instead of be at odds with the world. I talked about that in a previous episode once, and I think the focus was really about being strong enough as a person to be gentle with ourselves and others. And so often when we talk about that type of topic, the focus is on the others. It's how we relate to the outside world. But the whole purpose of this episode is to say, I can be strong enough as a person to be gentle with myself, to know when I need some self-regulation to know when I need to drop into deeper awareness, to know what I don't know. I mean, how often do we feel shame, profound shame, when we don't know what to do and it sends us spinning? How different would those challenges in life be if that shame just called us home to that position of neutrality, to a place where we could look around and say, well, who does know? Can I go to them? Can I be vulnerable? Can I say, I don't know, I want to learn? And what would that bring into our lives? I wanted to close this episode with a pretty well-known and very powerful reading from the big book. And I think it's incredibly helpful, no matter what fellowship you're in or whether you're not in one at all, whether you believe in that way of life or not. These are simply just powerful words and some really good food for thought this week. And who knows, they might change your perspective a bit. So here goes. 
The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, this show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, he is more likely to have varied traits. What usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes, on the next occasion, still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Is he not, even in his best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony. And I absolutely love that reading. I feel like it's so helpful and that it applies to so many of us because as often as we think the problem is with everyone else and that the solution is with us, you know, sometimes we are the problem and there is a solution there, but we need to invite it in and we need to make that space. And part of making that space is saying, maybe I'm not always right and maybe I don't have to be right. Maybe I just get to learn and I just get to grow. And maybe that's just one of the things I'm here to do anyway. Well, until next time, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Take a moment to rate and review this podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider making a monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio or scrolling down to the notes section of this episode.